hello. Welcome to Theologizing Life with Anthony Cottrell and Matt Tracy. I still feel weird doing that. (laughs) Introducing your name? Yeah. (laughs) Professor Matt Tracy. Yeah, that makes it much better. Do your students call you Professor Matt or Prof Matt or Prof Tracy, Professor Tracy? So how are you addressed? Last class I taught, they call me Professor Matt, which I thought was pretty cool. But this class I have, it's all freshmen, and they are uh, more wary about being casual with professors, so they call me Professor Tracy. I've been called Professor Matthew before, too, which is kind of weird. But Matthew. Professor Matthew. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. They still have uh, fear and respect. Good. They should. Yeah. I'm not respectable. They should know that. <laughs> no, don't say that. Um, well... We're going to talk about the kingdom of God today, which is yeah. uh, one of my favorite topics, actually, to well, theologize about. Yeah. Well, I mean, when we work together, this was one of our, our go-tos. Go-tos. Go-to can of worms. That's what I used to call it. Like, yeah. Lunch was, after staff meeting can of worms. Yeah. I'd open up theological cans of worms with my staff. It's good days. Good days. Before <laughs> we dive into the kingdom of God, we always like to um, share a little bit of weird, quirky, odd news because there's lots of bad news out there, but there's also news that just might tickle your funny bone. So um, (laughs) Matt, uh, I think you have a headline for us. (laughs) The the way that you said tickle your funny bone, it tickled my funny bone. So this is a a good one. Um, The headline is doorbell camera records California woman giving birth on lawn. so that's I don't know, that's funny or disturbing well okay so i i didn't watch the video because i watched my wife give birth i don't need to see it you know someone i don't know but um i guess this this woman went into labor and she wasn't i relate to the story a whole lot and i'll tell you why in just a second but she went into labor and she didn't like the contractions were 10 minutes apart and you know how they say like go to the hospital when they're I think it's like two, two to four minutes apart or something like that. Like, and then yeah. you're like, it's go time. So it's like 10 minutes apart. It's no big deal. It's not but go then, time. Yeah. But then like in like 20 minutes, they started going down to, you know, two minutes apart, one minute apart. So it's like, just like rapid. And then they realized like when they were on the front lawn, like she couldn't make it to the hospital. <laughs> she, she, she sat down and just... <laughs> just did it right there on the launch You're like this is my spot uh and oh, i guess man. the the doorbell camera cut the whole thing on video <laughs> so um mm. yeah but i i came across the story and i it gave me a little a little ptsd because that is my wife didn't give she listens to this so i hope this isn't like a violation <laughs> she, she probably won't care because we tell the story all the time but I, something very similar happened to us minus the doorbell camera and uh, the front lawn and the front lawn. Cause we actually made it to the hospital, but thank the Lord. Our, the hospital is pretty much across the street from us. Yeah. But uh, something, the same thing happened where like she started having contractions. We called the hospital. They're like, Oh, you know, they're like 10 minutes apart. Sometimes they were even like 20 minutes apart. And the doc- the doctors were like, you know, don't come in. You probably still have a long way to go. Uh, and then like an hour later, they started becoming like five minutes apart. And we're still like, oh, that's still too short. 
But then I was like, we should just go to the hospital just in case we get there. And the nurse is like, yeah, you're ready to start pushing. (laughs) (laughs) It's go time. Yeah. Then our daughter, our daughter was born in a matter of like four hours, like start to finish, like labor to delivery, four hours. It was amazing. Yeah. I mean, what, what wasn't amazing. (laughs) And I think, I mean, again, I hope Elisa, I'm so sorry if this is not okay, Um, (laughs) but she didn't get to have the epidural because it was oh, like no. too too close to go time. No epidural. And that's a, that, that's yeah. a bummer. Yeah. <laughs> they were like, they literally, they were like, Would, were you wanting an epidural? And we were like, yeah, of course. And I'm like, well, I'm not <laughs> sure we can make that happen. But <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, it was an intense experience. So, wow. Speaking <laughs> of experiences, um, I don't have a funny news story to share, but I wanted to ask you because you sort of had like a dream come true experience this it was this last weekend right oh yeah yeah tell us tell us about that now you have to um so i don't have i don't keep up with sports i don't have a major love for a team and and so um you know tell this story in a way that captivates me matt tell me why this was so significant okay so i'm a packers fan and i got to see my green bay packers uh, at Lambeau Field uh, with Aaron Rodgers against Russell Wilson. So two quarterbacks who are going to the Hall of Fame, like two of the greatest to ever mm-hmm. do it. Uh, I've been a Packers fan since I was a kid. My dad has always supported me in that, even though he's a Bears fan because we grew up in Chicago. But I got to go to Lambeau Field with my dad, which is something I've been wanting to do for my entire life, basically. And it was just like the quintessential like Green Bay Packers Lambeau Field experience because it was snowing. Yeah, uh, it was nice and cold. Um, we were like bundled up, like in the they're like bleacher seats in Lambeau. <laughs> they're not like it's not like a baseball stadium where you like sit in an armchair. It's like yeah, like literally you're sitting in bleachers. Um, we had amazing seats and like so I went with my wife, uh, my father-in-law, and my dad. Uh, and it was it was just an amazing experience to be a part of that because it's like you get to watch your team on TV and that's one thing, but you don't feel like you're a part of the action. Mm-hmm. But like when you're actually in the crowd, it's just like extra special. Yeah, so, yeah, it absorbs yeah. you. Yeah, and it felt like a it felt like kind of a once in a lifetime experience for me. Like Aaron Rodgers, there was this whole like controversy around him in the off season where they thought he was going to leave Green Bay and this might be his last season playing. And so I was like, man, I, if I'm going to go and see this guy play, like I need to get a ticket right now. Yeah. <laughs> so, I so I'm really glad I got to do it. So it was, it was super fun. I'm really happy for you. Those uh, I could tell you, you shared some pictures on social media. I could tell this is like, this is a big deal. This is yeah, one of those I, like bucket list things. I was on cloud nine. Literally uh, we have like a, a before, before we turned 30, we don't call I don't like to call it a bucket list because bucket list is like things to do before, before you die. <laughs> yeah. So obviously yeah. I'm not gonna die when I'm 30, I hope, but uh that was on it and we got to do it. So yeah. Before things to do before you turn 30. That's nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I guess I I guess I would have to re renew my list title to be <laughs> things to do before you turn 40. Yeah. <clears throat> well you still got a long way to go before 40. Yeah. Kind of. What do you mean kind of? You're what, 30, 33? Yeah. 
Yeah. It just, it feels like things, it feels like a long time, but then in, at the same time in the scope of the big picture, it feels like, well, it's not really a long time because things life and things just yeah. go fast, but you'll notice oh, I, that my voice is a little hoarse and that's because of Sunday, like yelling, screaming, I was cheering. I was, so, you know, me, like I'm not, I don't sing really in church. I'm kind of just like a, like, I like to just be in the moment and I'm not a very expressive person. That wasn't true on Sunday. I was, I was going nuts. <laughs> so, uh, so you love your Green Bay Packers more than you love Jesus. No, what, that is. That? I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> I knew you were going to go there, but no, that is not true. So. I'm, just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but yeah, I lost my voice, and it still hasn't come all the way back. So that's probably why I sound kind of weird. So, <laughs> well, hey, um, let's theologize for a little bit. Yeah. What do you say? Yeah, sounds good. We're going to talk about the kingdom of God. I suppose a good thing to uh, to just sort of get out of the way is, uh, Matt, what is it? <clears throat> well, it's kind of an interesting biblical theological topic because you get kind of a an idea of it in the Old Testament where God promises that uh, Israel is going to have a kingdom without end. So in 2 Samuel 7, I think. God promises to David that he's going to make him a house that will become a dynasty that will reign forever, that Israel is never going to lack a king on the throne. And at the end of the Old Testament, they're still waiting for their king. Right. You're You're still kind of left wanting because, you know, they go through the exile, they come back to the promised land, but they're still under, you know, foreign occupation. And they're still waiting for this messianic king to come and, uh, rescue them, I guess. Then Jesus comes on the scene and he says, you know, those kingdom promises, those are about me. You know, I'm your king. I am the son of David uh, that is going to rule for eternity. But then he kind of turns a bunch of expectations on their head and starts talking about love and humility and self-sacrifice and um, like righteousness Whereas where people were expecting him to be kind of a political figure, uh, a military king who would come and and rescue Israel from occupation under Rome. So there's like a kind of a different, Jesus put a a huge spin on the whole theology of the kingdom that was traditionally, um, you know, kind of expected by Israel. But the way that Jesus defined the kingdom was, was a, an ongoing reality that people can be a part of now and um, citizenship in that kingdom is available to us now, but it requires uh, a tremendous amount of surrender and, and life change. So, yeah. 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 That's good, man. There's a lot there. And I think, um, I think it's, it's hard to know where to begin because it's such a, um, it's an idea and a theme that's woven throughout the old new Testament scriptures. And there's uh, sort of the Jewish preconceived ideas and baggage that they sort of bring into the term. And then there's our like post uh, you know, cross and resurrection. And then like ideas that we look back on the kingdom of God and we sort of have hindsight on, on it because we're on this side of the cross, but then there's also our just modern, context that shapes it too. And so it's hard to know where to begin, but um, one thing I want to 
I think just clarify too with you and just ask like, so sometimes scripture talks about the kingdom of God and sometimes it talks about the kingdom of heaven. Um, are those uh, different? Are they the same? Um, what, what's the distinguish, distinguishing factor if they're different? Uh, what, just so we know, when, when we see in the scriptures, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, uh, what's going on there? Are those two different things or are they the same thing? Well, I, I generally read them kind of interchangeably. Uh, Jesus talked about the kingdom of heaven quite a bit, but um, kingdom of heaven, I think, is, is kind of referring to the new creation where um, God restores kind of an, an original creation uh, state of being to the world where people are living under his authority and the kind of natural reality of the world, the natural order of things is um, once again under the the grip of God's power and not the grip of sin. Yeah. So, yeah, I, the kingdom of God, uh, at least the way I read it, and the kingdom of heaven, both refer to the 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 state of being where uh, the authority of God, the authority of Jesus, reigns supreme over everything, including people. Yeah, that's good. Um, so I'm going to read a couple quotes of just how some other theologians have defined it, and and it's just to sort of. I guess, to affirm what you've kind of shared. So like uh, Dallas Willard in the divine conspiracy says now God's own kingdom or rule is the range of his effective will where what he wants done is done. Uh, N.T. Wright says that God's kingdom and kingdom of heaven mean the same thing. The sovereign rule of God, that is the rule of heaven of the one who lives in heaven, which according to Jesus was and is breaking into the present world to earth. So uh, the kingdom of God and king, kingdom of heaven are the same, are referencing the same idea, the same concept. And uh, the kingdom of God is the realm in which God's uh, will is done. Um, and the idea, I think, in in the, yeah, yeah, the idea is in the gospels, it's where God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, a couple questions about that, Matt. I want to play hardball with you for a second. Okay. I mean, God is God and he's sovereign and he's all powerful and he's in control, right? So isn't like everything that doesn't make sense, does it? To say the kingdom of God is the the realm where God's will is done on earth as in heaven. Isn't his will already done on earth uh, as in heaven? Well, I mean, humans have the power of free will. And um, I always, you know, argue that to truly love God is to choose to, to submit to him. And if we weren't given a choice to submit to him, uh, then it wouldn't be a true expression of, of love. So I think, you know, human submission to God and submission to the will of God is a choice that we can make and we do make. So it's, that's not to say that God can't accomplish his will uh, on earth as it is in heaven already, uh, but the grip of sin over the hearts of humankind it prevents us from bending our will to that desire to love and obey God. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Um, Dallas Willard again in Divine Conspiracy sort of goes on and says that indeed the social and political realm, along with the individual heart, is the only place in all of creation where the kingdom of God or his effective will is permitted to be absent. Mm -hmm. um, so basically the idea that um, there are spaces uh, or, or 
<clears throat> well, really just spaces that are in rebellion against God's will, or um, if not in active, like sort of militant rebellion in sort of a passive uh, unsubmission. I don't think that's a word, but um, I think there's, there's a difference between actively opposing God's will and just sort of passively uh, not submitting to. And I think the difference is to not submit to God's will in a sense is to rebel, but I think there, there are some people or some uh, entities that don't know, like there's still the need to proclaim the kingdom of God and to offer the invitation to submit to his rule and reign. Um, And so I think that's different, but the point is, is that it would seem that the biblical picture is that there are spaces that are not uh, surrendered to the reign of God. And um, whether it's individuals or even uh, sort of systems that are made up of individuals, um, there can be things that are not in submission to the rule and reign Mm -hmm. of God. Um, so one of the ideas I want to, I want to kind of explore is, so we've talked about, and you alluded to it, that the, the sort of Jewish concept of the kingdom of God was for, um, the Messiah to come as sort of a military, sort of like a, uh, a Davidic figure, this, this King who David was also sort of this military warrior, um, and there are just almost these like legendary stories of David and his mighty men in the Old Testament. So the Messiah would be kind of like David as a military warrior, but also um, maybe kind of like Elijah in the prophetic and miracle working sense, but then also mm-hmm. like Moses in uh, terms of the covenant that would be restored and in this idea of liberating Israel from foreign oppression. And so there's just this idea that the Messiah would establish the kingdom of God in those ways. And that it was going to be a, uh, like a physical, literal, political, national kingdom. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's not what Jesus brought. So, um, so then I've encountered within Christians though, too, this sense that, uh, well, what Jesus promised was still to come that there's this like, and they usually tie it to end times and revelation that there's this 1000 year reign where God will establish a physical, literal uh, sort of national kingdom. And so there's still kind of these views. So the Jews are still waiting for it. um, Still waiting for the Messiah, but it seems there's some Christians who are still waiting for it. But what I heard you say and what I think a lot of other theologians would say is, no, actually, Jesus said it is like it did come with, mm-hmm. with and in and through him. Um, so, yeah, what's could you speak to that? The, the Jewish hope, how did Jesus uh, redefine, I guess, or re-ascribe it? And then what would you say to those Christians who say, no, um, there's still evil in this world. We're still waiting for the kingdom of God. Yeah, so... The, the Jewish understanding of the kingdom, there's kind of like two definitive realities that are pretty incompatible with one another. So they talk, they would talk about the current age, which is defined by sin and rebellion against God. It includes, you know, suffering, the, the rule of Satan, death, spiritual warfare. That's the current age. And then the age to come, uh, which is defined by, you know, the presence of God. Uh, the rule of God, righteousness, comfort, safety, those those really beautiful Old Testament promises where uh, God's people are living in peace under a righteous ruler. And in the Jewish understanding, 
those are two completely radically opposed realities. But part of what Je- what made Jesus so controversial was he taught that the kingdom, the age to come, is breaking through into the present age right now. Yeah. So he taught the, about the kingdom as this kind of an ongoing progression where the realities of God's kingdom are are breaking through right now <clears throat> and kind of continually pushing back the the stranglehold that Satan has over people and creation. So he taught about the, the kingdom as if it was uh, kind of a seed planted in the current age that's mm-hmm. growing and expanding and rapidly uh, gaining influence. And it is true that we are, you know, still waiting for its, you know, fullness to be realized. You know, Jesus said, uh, you know, it will be made full in the age to come. Uh, so there is a reality that we are still waiting for in which Jesus like fully makes the kingdom promises a, a reality where he's physically on the throne, where sin is no more, where death is no more, evil is no more. But Jesus taught that uh, most notably that the kingdom is not some far off reality that we need mm-hmm. to be, you know, waiting for and staking our hope out, you know, if the long term, you know, there's no hope for today. He taught that the kingdom and citizenship in it is accessible today that we can be part of it today here and now. Yeah. Yeah. And I love um, that idea where you talked about like the, the Jewish understanding that there's this, this age and it's sort of um, under the dominion. I'll, I'll use this language under the dominion of darkness and then the age to come in which darkness has been defeated <clears throat> and it's under the, under the, the rule and reign of God. Um, and that these two things are sort of like oil and water incompatible. So you can't have, uh, this reality where there's sin and darkness, um, that has this sort of freedom to, to, uh, wreak havoc on God's creation and simultaneously have God's, uh, rule and reign. Like it seems incompatible, but what I love about just the gospel and Jesus is we see things that seem like contradictions sort of um, brought together through this marriage of mystery. So like, I think an example of this is the incarnation itself. So the incarnation itself is divinity wrapped in flesh, like God entering into human history in the person of Jesus, who is fully God and fully man, like something that should seem again, like oil and water. You can't be fully human and fully divine at the same time, but Jesus is. And so I think part of his declaration, and I don't think there's anywhere in the gospels where he specifically says it this way, but it's sort of implied is that the kingdom of God, this reality that's not supposed to be compatible with the current age is breaking in to the present time, uh, through me, like he mm-hmm. is sort of, if you will, almost the, the doorway through which the kingdom of God, the inbreaking of the kingdom happens. Yeah. yeah. And I think the incarnation is uh, sort of gives testimony to that mystery and that reality. Yeah. Um, another thing I think I've encountered, and then I want to dive into like, okay, we're kind of talking about this and we're talking about it on this sort of theological, theoretical um, level. Uh, but why is this important? Um, mm-hmm. and, and we'll get there. But first, I've also encountered like believers who seem to think the kingdom of heaven is synonymous with heaven, as in not the realm 
not this, not God's space or the realm where God dwells, but heaven as in the otherworldly place you go when you die, you know, the place where our disembodied souls float around and there's streets of gold and mansions and all the chocolate I can eat for all of eternity. And so they, they read, um, when they see kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God in scripture, their sort of cognitive connection is with, um, the otherworldly mm-hmm. place we call heaven. Yeah. The, the, where I go when I die, mm-hmm. um, talk to us about that. Is that what it is? Um, if it's not, uh, why does it matter? Uh, what sort of ways does thinking of it that way change how we may read, interpret, approach scripture. So yeah, talk to, talk to us about, um, that idea, that concept. Yeah. uh, I'll just start off by saying that the hope of, you know, the hope of the Christian faith is not escaping the bounds of earth. God created mankind to live with him here on earth. And so, you know, our future hope is not, is not, uh, escaping earth. Our future hope is, living with God in this, in the relationship that he intended us to live with him in, which is uh, an earthly relationship. So, you know, the kingdom of heaven, as it's spoken about in scripture is it's not a separation of earth and the heavenly realm. It's a collision of the earth and the heavenly realm. So in revelation, it talks about a new city of Jerusalem that is literally descending from the sky, from the heavenly Mm -hmm. realm to meet earth. And in the end, at the end of scripture, like humans are not, you know, lifted up off the earth and floating around in the clouds. Like we are living in the world in a, in a new and redeemed earth with Jesus on the throne, uh, with God's rule being executed perfectly here on earth as it is in heaven. And there's kind of a misconception, I think in, you know, evangelical circles that, you know, I've even heard, you know, Christians become angels when they die, like they come, they go, they go far away into the heavenly realms and live with God forever. Um, and that's not true. The, the hope of the Christian faith is resurrection. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Resurrection into the heavenly kingdom with Jesus on the throne. So, yeah, I heard someone put it this way and I, I can't, um, I apologize. I can't like credit them properly because I don't remember who it was, but I've heard this phrase. Um, the point of the gospel isn't about getting you to heaven, but rather about getting heaven into you yeah. um, and, and the life of heaven into you so that there's this, um, this marriage of the life of heaven and the effective rule and reign of God, which is good, just, right, perfect, completely um, defined by and distinguished by God's love. So there's this rule and reign of God, which is perfect, good, full of love, mercy, and grace that is, uh, that is reigning in your life, in your heart, so that you not only are experiencing it, uh, but you're living it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so the life of heaven is, is uh, alive in you and sort of emanating from you. Mm-hmm. And, and part of that, I think, is also goes back <clears throat> to Genesis and how we are created in the image of God. And then given dominion, yeah. part of the gospel is sort of to reclaim our identity, to reclaim our purpose and our rightful uh, sort of place in creation, yeah. to begin living the life 
God intended from the beginning to, to begin living out the reflection of God's image and then mm-hmm. exercising dominion, how he uh, intended us to. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of part of what doesn't make sense about the, you know, the going to heaven when you die kind of way of thinking, because, you know, God created people and the world, you know, and it was very good. God said his creation was very good and uh, complete. Why would he change that? Like, why would, so the, the Bible is about the restoration of what was originally lost and not the, you know, creation of something completely different where, you know, humans aren't, humans are angels, not humans anymore. And the earth isn't the earth anymore. We actually like live in the clouds. You know, there's there's none of that in the Bible that the, you know, the Bible is about the restoration of Eden, literally. Yeah. Yeah. And the kingdom of God is the full picture of Eden. Yeah. And I love, um, so I'm, I was reading, I'm reading a book right now that, um, talks about how the Bible talks about the world because what's happened is there are places where scripture condemns, um, love of the world. Um, but the way scripture talks about the world is there's some different like kind of nuances. The the illustration the author gave was, um, it's, it's a John Mark Comer book. It's his new book, live no lies. Um, I feel like I reference him every podcast, but yeah, we should get like a sponsorship with his publishers. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, that'd be awesome. Uh, <clears throat> but, but he talks about, um, he uses the example of a ball, a ball could be um, the round thing that you throw into a basketball hoop. Uh, there's a ball that is um, like the dance, uh, you know, the like banquet, you know, mm-hmm. thing um, is called a ball. And then there's also like, my kids are having a ball. Um, they're mm-hmm. having a good time. So w- we use words and and they're spelled the same, but they can have different meaning. Same thing in scripture. And he talks about how scripture talks about the world um, as in just the created order, like the cosmos and um, creation, mm-hmm. earth. Um, and then there's the world as in sort of humankind and God loves the world. Like he loves, he said his creation was good and he loves humankind for God. So the world, they gave his only son. Right. But then there's the world and it's connected to sort of the flesh and the ways of the world. And we're not to love the world. And the distinguishing factor, I think that sometimes we need to have is, or, or otherwise we do sort of have this view of like, I'm going to, the gospel is about me um, dying and getting to heaven and, being like ridding myself of this awful place. Um, mm-hmm. And there's some problems with that, that I want to dive into um, in a moment. But um, if you think the world, if you think when scripture talks about the world uh, as being the created place and people, it's easy to sort of discard it, to see yeah. it as, um, as yeah, something that we just need to free ourselves from. Um, but that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about the way of the world. So the manner yeah. in which the world um, in sort of the worldview and the values and the systems of the world, we are to not love or to not make an idol out of, um, but it is okay to, you know, find creation beautiful and it's okay yeah. to love people. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, the problem, so it's to, okay to, it's okay to enjoy being a person. Yeah. <laughs> to enjoy being human. Yeah. Um, one, one of the things I love in the gospels, uh, it's, it's John's gospel, right? The wedding at Cana. Yeah. John. Yeah. Um, yeah. John two. Wait, John four. I have it's my John. Bible. It's in John. Sure, sure. <laughs> um, I like to, but, but one of the things I love is just the, the simplicity of the reality that like, um, yeah, John two, um, 
Jesus was invited to a wedding celebration and mm-hmm. like, so he had friends and he enjoyed the festivities. He enjoyed the, the, the ball. <laughs> yeah. Jesus had a ball at the ball. Yeah. <laughs> um, see, how, see how I tied that together? Yeah, I got that. Yeah, good job. That's pretty good. Um, what's problematic about a theology that says the gospel is about me um, getting saved so that when I die, I go to this otherworldly place called heaven and I rid myself of this earth. And um, part of, you know, I just need to hunker down, uh, a- avoid my life being contaminated by this big, bad, dirty world until mm-hmm. I die and go to heaven. And that's the gospel. Um, yeah. And that's the kingdom of God. And what's what's sort of problematic about the theological implications of that sort of view? Like, why is it a big deal if people think that? Yeah, I mean, I think first of all, it, it's not a true picture of what salvation is, um, because God created people to live on Earth. He created the He created the Earth uh, for us and for His glory. And so, original creation. Uh, was man in perfect relationship with God and perfect relationship with his creation, you know, in the realm of earth, the world that he created. So, you know, God doesn't hate the world that he created. God, you know, bestowed on us the world to live in and gave us dominion over it, you know, as an act of love. So I think that kind of escapist theology i think that's what we've called it before is it kind of breeds a bitterness and hatred toward being a person here uh, Mm -hmm. in the world it leads us to discount the the problems that we see in the world today whether they're social or you know even climate you know pollution you know right uh, global warming if you believe in that (laughs) um I do. That was sarcasm, but just like the, the fact that uh, we are the, the idea that we are destined to escape the world makes us feel like we're exempt from creation care, you know, yeah. that, and I, th- I find that problematic because, um, and people say, well, God's just going to burn it up. And they, they get that from this first Peter passage. But again, I think that's talking about the way of the world mm-hmm. and the, 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 sort of all the ways that darkness and um, evil has invaded and infected, I guess, this, this good creation. Um, Yeah. First Peter talks about things being burned up. I think it's first Peter. Um, But I think it's this picture more of like when a metal is refined, it's not Mm -hmm. just to destroy the whole thing, you know, the whole kit and caboodle it's to refine it, to redeem it, to, to mm-hmm. recreate it, to restore it. Um, mm-hmm. And so this idea that, well, we're just going to go to heaven when we die, which I've heard propagated in Christian circles, like we're just going to go to heaven when we die. So like, who cares if I recycle, who cares if I care for the you know creation? Okay. But I just want to say, okay, even if that is your theology, you think it's just about going to heaven when we die and God's going to burn up this earth. Um, there's still this command at the beginning of the book um, to, yeah. uh, to exercise dominion mm-hmm. and, and the implications of it is to not exercise it in some sort of oppressive, abusive, um, use it up for selfish purposes, but to exercise dominion in a way that reflects and honors um, Yahweh in a way yeah. that reflects and honors God. So I feel like, yeah. So I feel like that's one of the, yeah. Creation care is one of the negative um implications of a theology that's just about like going to heaven when you die um what what are some 
what are some others? I think I could think of uh, some other sort of uh, implications. I mean, I mean, I think you kind of alluded to it, like this. How did you say it? Like a like a resentment almost for for yeah. uh, outsiders for people who aren't part of our faith. I feel like right. it can almost justify a, a sort of attitude of like, well, they've made their choice. You know, they made their bed. They're going to lie in it, and and it it calls you. Yeah, you said it. This escapist theology rather than a missional theology, yeah. and that that goes along with the theology of the Pharisees and Sadducees that you know Jesus mm-hmm. so harshly rebuked because their yep. their idea of the kingdom was that it's for those who obey the law and the kingdom purpose that you know the purpose for humanity now, like as we wait for the age to come, is to shield ourselves from you know, worldly influences. And so sinful people, uh, ceremonially unclean people, the marginalized, the outcast, like they've met their bet. They've made their bed. They're going to line that they're going to see the wrath of God. Uh, and we, the, the redeemed kingdom people are called to, you know, build an ivory tower and, and hold out for God to make all things new. Um, and that's, that's not at all, uh, Jesus said that's not at all what the kingdom is about. Uh, the kingdom is about the redemption of things, not the destruction of things. And that includes people. The kingdom is about a redeemed people, not a preserved people um, that mm, shield themselves from everything that is worldly. So, Yeah, Matt, that, that's tweetable. The kingdom's <laughs> about, you say, a redeemed people, not a preserved people? Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Um, I think what you said fits with, uh, I, I put a sticky note. There's this book. It's a big book. It's a big theological seminary level reading. So I'm not recommending anyone uh, go buy this on Amazon and, and read it. Cause I've actually not even read the whole thing. I read segments of it for a class, but it's called uh, transforming mission by David Bosch. And he talks about how I'm just going to read a couple of quotes. Cause it's sort of like brings succinctly brings together a lot of the stuff we've been talking about. He says, God's reign is not understood as exclusively future, but is both future and already present. Um, He's talking about the way that he's reflecting on uh, the New Testament. So specifically how the gospels talk about the kingdom. He says, God's reign is not intended for those who regard themselves as VIPs, but for those on the margins, for those who suffer, for tax collectors and sinners, for widows and children. I think this is important to see when we read the gospels um, that Jesus comes on the scene, um, especially uh, Mark's gospel. He comes on the scene and it says, um, uh, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Mm-hmm. One of the things I think is important to understand about the kingdom is this is the gospel Jesus was proclaiming. He was not proclaiming, "Hey, I'm dying for your sins so you can go to heaven." Uh, that didn't that hadn't happened yet, and right. the disciples had no framework. We can tell through the gospels that they had no um, no like category for a Messiah that would be crucified. Yeah. So the gospel Jesus was proclaiming was the gospel of the kingdom of God, and he was proclaiming mm-hmm. that it's at hand, that it's near, that it has come near. And then he proclaims this, but then he demonstrates it by associating with the outcast and healing the sick and casting out demons. And so that takes me back to this segment that Bosch writes. This is a big part, but I think it's really good. It says, again, this is his reflections on the gospel. So he's sort of commentating on Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 
and he calls them the evangelists. So he says, evil was experienced as something very real and tangible in the ancient world. It should therefore not surprise us if the evangelists use religious words to describe what Jesus did in the face of sickness, demon possession, and exploitation. One of those words is to save, the Greek sozin, which for us has become an exclusively religious term. However, in at least 18 cases, the evangelists use it with reference to Jesus's healing of the sick. Thus, there is, in Jesus's ministry, no tension between saving from sin and saving from physical ailment, between the spiritual and the social. The same applies to the term used for forgiveness, the Greek ephesus, ephesus, ephesus. Sounds like I'm saying Ephesians, but that's not. Um, It includes a wide range of meanings from the freeing of bonded slaves to the cancellation of monetary debts, eschatological liberation, and the forgiveness of sins. All shades of meaning of these terms give expression to the all-embracing nature of God's reign. They aim at dissolving all forms of alienation and at breaking down walls of hostility and exclusion. What I love about this gospel of the kingdom is it's actually much broader. It's much more um, beautiful, I think, much more all-encompassing than this, like, we're just going to save your soul and get it to um, the good place when you die. It's like, no, um, the gospel is about restoring all the death, these death, disease, and decay have corrupted and yeah. impacted. And so, Jesus demonstrates that. Yeah. So what role, I guess my question, if I was hearing this for the first time, we've all heard that the gospel is about recognizing that I'm a sinner and I need forgiveness and placing my faith in Christ. What role, so you said there's a more well-rounded image of that. And like the gospel that Jesus preached wasn't necessarily that, didn't necessarily mean that. So what role does personal forgiveness and personal relationship have in that, you know, kingdom definition yeah um i've I've been borrowing other people's work uh a majority of this podcast but i love um nt wright says uh or yeah nt wright says it is the story of god's kingdom being launched on earth as in heaven generating a new state of affairs in which the power of evil has been decisively defeated the new creation has been decisively launched and jesus followers have been commissioned and equipped to put that victory and that inaugurated world, a new world into practice. This is the part atonement, redemption, and salvation are what happen on the way because engaging in this work demands that people themselves be rescued from the powers that enslave the world in order that they can in turn be rescuers. To put it another way, if you want to help inaugurate God's kingdom, you must follow in the way of the cross. And if you want to benefit from Jesus' saving death, you must um, become part of the uh, you must to become part of this kingdom project. Yeah, that's so there is a a commission to being saved. Yes. That's it's not just about evacuation and escaping. Right. So there's actually a, a divine calling uh, as redeemed people who have been saved by Jesus. You know, salvation and sanctification are good and biblical and something that all people, you know, should um embrace (laughs) but that's not the end game so i guess i think that um an example is like when god redeemed israel he he saved them from egypt that's like their defining you know salvation act in israelite history he didn't he didn't stop there like he still had a purpose for them Mm -hmm. in the world yeah so i think that's that parallels with us today like we have been saved 
from our sin, from our own depravity to use the, you know, Calvinist word. You think I'm a closet Calvinist. I'm really not, but uh, (laughs) we've been rescued from our own depravity, not, um, not to be exclusive, not to um, run away from the world, not to escape the world, but to actually go back into the world and, you know, share that message of redemption with others. Yeah. And it's not just, and and it's not just, I would say the cross. So I love, um, he, he talks about how this, this, uh, that, that we are rescued to be, uh, rescued rescuers. Um, but that you must follow in the way of the cross. So the cross, it's not just this mystery where the substitutionary death of Jesus, um, atones for our sins and, and it's not just this like thing we, we, it's not just a pardon sort of, or certificate of pardon that we receive. We're actually invited. And I think part of the outworking of our salvation is to follow in the way of the cross. Mm-hmm. So the cross is both this sort of substitutionary sacrifice that pays for um, our contribution to brokenness and sin and depravity um, and allows us to experience forgiveness. Um, but it's also this sort of model in that the way to experience, Jesus says the way to find life is to lose it. That it's through this way that Jesus modeled of self-sacrificial love that the kingdom is birthed. Like uh, it is through that way of the cross that the kingdom is birthed in you and in the world around you. And so it's Mm -hmm. through this way of self-sacrificial love and forgiveness and grace uh, that we are saved, I think. So it's, it's part of... So what I'm saying is that Paul talks about working out your own salvation. And, and I want to be clear here. I'm not necessarily talking about that whole justification piece and about, again, where you go when you die, whether you go to heaven and hell. Um, although I think that's important, what I'm talking about is what are the implications of salvation in terms of us becoming who God intends us to be? And so I think the importance of the cross in the kingdom of God is that it is both somehow mysteriously reconciles us to God but then also becomes the path that we too walk. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's this way of the cross that is the means through which the kingdom of God yeah. is brought to life in the here and now. Yeah. So it's like, you know, salvation is from sin, but it's for, uh, for something else as well. And, and the important thing about this too, I think, is there's these, these disagreements in the church today that are pretty relevant about like social issues, about poverty and um, about racial reconciliation and about immigration and refugees. And there's this talk about how it's, they're not gospel issues because the gospel is only concerned with saving souls. That's what one end of the spectrum says. The other end of the spectrum says, no, we have to care about these things um, because uh, there are places in scripture where it talks about caring for the oppressed and the poor and Jesus modeled it but there's sort of this um, maybe convenient neglect of inviting people to follow Jesus. It's sort of just uh, doing humanitarian work. Yeah. Not really doing it in the name of Jesus. Like, so there's, you know, and those stereotypically are progressive Christians and the other stereotypically conservative Christians There's sort of these like polar things. And I think no, neither is, is really fully getting the picture. Like, um, the gospel is about the kingdom of God making right all that sin has yes. disrupted. 
So yes, it's about the person responding to the invitation to be reconciled to God and um, God doing a work in their hearts and souls as an individual. A Christian term would be saving them. But it's also about spreading the kingdom of God by uh, being salt and light, by giving a cup of cold water to someone who's thirsty, by visiting people in prison, by opening our doors to the stranger. Like those are things, what is that? Matthew 25. Um, Those are specific, like verbatim things Jesus talks about, right? Mm -hmm. Um, It's about loving the poor, proclaiming good news to the poor and opening the eyes of the blind and um, freeing the captive and liberating the oppressed. Like it's about all of it. Um, Yeah. There isn't this, it's a false dichotomy to put them against the other. So I say the social justice warrior who says the gospel is about feeding the poor and the conservative Calvinist <laughs> who says it's only about getting a soul to heaven. Um, I say uh, you're both right, but you're incompletely, yeah. not completely right. It's exactly. both and it's not yeah. either or. Yeah. And that's why I think this is so important. I guess this is why I get passionate about it is I think to err on one side, we have an incomplete view of what Jesus taught, what Jesus lived, what Jesus himself proclaimed was the gospel. And, um, and then we have an incomplete view of what our sort of mission is, like what our calling is. Mm-hmm. And I just think to have an incomplete view of those things has um, these sort of negative implications. And so I think it's important to, to try, we probably don't have it fully right. That would be arrogant, but to try to get the kingdom right, to try to have a good grasp of what, what it means to, um, to proclaim the good news, the kingdom. Yeah. I think I agree with the, you know, I guess that what I, what I gathered from that was like the the kingdom of heaven is kind of, is a call to action uh, both personally and globally. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Jesus calls us to ally ourselves with the ways of the kingdom. And uh, that involves redemption and reconciliation of our own sins, but also being ministers of reconciliation in the world around us. And so, I mean, I think Jesus modeled this, like he went into the world and he, he exercised, he cast out demons and he healed uh, not because he was just a nice, compassionate guy who wanted to do nice things for people, but because that is the reality of the kingdom. And that's mm-hmm. how the power of the kingdom can manifest in our world today through, yeah. you know, so in, he's saying, oh, in my kingdom, the blind will see, the lame will walk, the demon oppressed will be free. And that's not just a future hope that we can have today. That's a reality that we can live in as kingdom citizens now. Exactly. So I think that's, that speaks to the calling of the Christian. Like when we see the manifestation of sin in the world today, we do something about it because we are called to bring about the kingdom reality here and now. And it's, it's not just a, um, I've been saved. So let me just wait until Jesus comes and makes it all right. It's a, I've been saved. I have pledged my allegiance, so to speak, to the kingdom of heaven. And so I'm going to do everything I can in my power in this world to usher in kingdom realities in my immediate context. Yep, exactly. And what's interesting is some of that sounds a little charismatic and people who know us, like our personalities don't necessarily gravitate towards like being, um, you know, exuberantly charismatic. Um, But it sounds like the implications of, of some of what we're saying is that um, as rescued rescuers 
And if we go off the model of what Jesus demonstrated the kingdom of God looks like, like then healing and uh, freedom from demonic oppression and, um, and, you know, giving a cup of cold water to the poor um, that these sorts of, so, so in a sense, maybe a fuller view of the kingdom is that um, there's some sort of overlap between what we would deem as charismatic and what we would deem as social justice Christians and what we would deem as, uh, you know, maybe some conservative that like, it actually should not necessarily be siloed into either one of those, but we should be demonstrating and living and, and, and participating in and longing for and actively seeking for these things to happen. Yeah. A lot of what Christian theology is, is like, <laughs> I, I tend to read different perspectives and hear different perspectives and, and say, yeah, you're right. But this person is also right. Who has, <laughs> who has a perspective that you might, you know, vehemently opposed like they have elements of truth to what they believe and it's just kind of like the gospel brings together so many different elements of what salvation is and what the calling of christians is and there's so much overlap and it's a comprehensive life change it's a comprehensive way of life a transformation really that kind of embodies a whole bunch of you know really radical life-changing um realities all wrapped into one you know and just to sort of like you know affirm i'm going to quote someone else again but it's going to be the bible this time not just an author um there's places in scripture where jesus sends out his disciples is what he says to them um you're to proclaim as you go so this is what they're to proclaim the kingdom of heaven is at hand mm-hmm. and then he tells them this is what should accompany this proclamation of the gospel of the kingdom. I, I just feel like this is so important because there's so many voices today that are arguing about all this stuff. And it just, it actually gets under my skin a little bit, if I'm honest, but because, uh, you know, they accuse other people of not being biblical or this group of not being biblical and blah, blah, blah. But it's like, this is, this is what Jesus said, go proclaim as you go saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And what should accompany that heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. Or one translation, one translation says, freely you've received, now freely give. That's in Matthew 10. And then in Mark, um, uh, where did it go? Yeah, Mark 3 is talking about, again, the 12 disciples. And it says he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, in this way, so that they might be with him, might, and he might send them out to preach. So preach the gospel, but he doesn't stop there, and have authority to cast out demons. Um, this ministry of healing and casting out demons and proclaiming the kingdom of God and, um, and, and loving and caring for, I mean, Jesus demonstrated part of their discipleship, part of their apprenticeship was going with Jesus to the tax collector's house and sitting down and hanging out in company of tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes and uh, gluttons and all this stuff it's all part of the gospel. Like Jesus yeah. doesn't separate it out. And so we shouldn't either. Yeah. Um, but anyways, I have one final quote from an author that I guess I will uh, sort of tie my end up. And then if you have any thoughts you want to add, um, I invite those, but Michael Frost in the book, the road to missional, which is a great book. It's not that big, but it, it's, it's really good. Uh, the reign of God through Christ is a present reality, but also an unfolding one. Heaven overlaps with earth. God's reign is complete. Jesus is Lord. 
These are irrefutable, non-negotiable, universal truths, but they are truths we perceive only partially. Their full reality is still mysterious to us. One day, at the regeneration of all things, as Jesus tells us, the reign of God will be understood completely, utterly, unquestionably. The way the illustration I've used before is that of pregnancy. Um, when my wife was pregnant with our kids, um, there was a life that was really actually there. Um, I remember when uh, I could see a foot or a hand pop. So and weird. <laughs> it was weird. And sort of like roll across my wife's uh, stomach there. And, and there is this, this real person in her womb growing. Uh, but Titus or Evelyn weren't fully here in the way they are now. Like I couldn't hold them. Like I could now or talk mm-hmm. to them or look in their eyes and touch their skin and see them. They weren't fully here until, um, until my wife gave birth to them. So we live in the, the age we are in is the age where I believe um, believers in this world is pregnant with the hope of the kingdom, the life of the kingdom, the reality mm-hmm. of the kingdom. It is really actually here in and through Jesus. Um, but it's not fully, it's already, but not yet uh, is another way to say it. And in the age to come, the restoration of all things, it will be like when, uh, it will be fully birthed, fully consummated is another, another, there's another metaphor consummation in the Bible that, so people are, you know, they're, they are weird about that, you know, sloppy wet kiss, John Mark McMillan song, uh, heaven meets earth like a sloppy wet kiss but the biblical metaphor is a marriage that has not yet been consummated sexually like Mm -hmm. the we are married the marriage proposal has been made we have accepted it we are now married like to christ as his bride in the church but our union has not been consummated yet yep so it is a it's a reality that exists here and now but a reality that is going to be made full later on Yeah. And in the biblical world, um, it's important to realize too, that, that sort of, um, oh, uh, the engaged period, the betrothed period, Mm -hmm. um, was taken as seriously as if not more than we take marriage today in terms of like how binding that commitment was. So when scripture talks about like, it's not fully consummated, but we are like the proposal we're, we're betrothed in essence, we are married to Christ. Like it's, it's still, it's not like an engagement here in America where you just like break it off and stuff. Yeah. Like it's, it's a big deal. Yeah. I guess I'm glad you brought <laughs> you, that up. If, if sloppy wet kiss makes you uncomfortable, then you're not ready to hear what the, what the Bible's metaphor for it is. Cause it's, like, <laughs> you know, a lot more risque than that, but a little more sloppy, a little bit. More sloppy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, that should be our podcast name. A little bit more sloppy. <laughs> We have to explore changing the name. Uh, it's funny. Yeah, no, that's good. Um, Matt, do you have anything more sloppy else? With <laughs> that's your late night podcast. Um, After anyway. hours. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think anyway, that's probably a sign we should start wrapping it up, right? Uh, yeah i i I think the the one thing, the one takeaway, I think that. I just want to emphasize is that in the church, we do a pretty good job of, you know, preaching the personal salvation, personal righteousness gospel. But I think a fuller picture of the gospel includes kingdom theology. It includes a, an understanding, a comprehensive understanding of what 
a life devoted to Jesus means. And Jesus talked a lot more about the characteristics of a kingdom citizen and a lot less about personal piety, personal religion, Mm -hmm. um, a personal relationship with Jesus. Like, yeah, I think those are important, but they are not the end, the end game. Uh, Redemption in Christ, reconciliation with Christ is a, a missional calling. It's not the, the end all be all. Right. Well, and Jesus, the great commission and numbers of people have pointed this out before me, but like the invitation is to make disciples, not just converts, not just people who've converted yeah. to a religion and, and sort of have this sense of eternal security, but it's actually mm-hmm. to make disciples and disciples of those who follow. And so, um, and, and even, um, I'm just going to pick on this because someone else might, you said something about like a personal relationship with Jesus isn't the end game. I would say someone could pick it saying like a personal relationship with Jesus is, um, is the beginning of the, the only game that matters. Like it's maybe not the end game. Like I know what you mean, but it is a personal relationship with Jesus is the point, but the, but a, a actual relationship with Jesus, when you actually come to know Jesus and love Jesus, um, he will take you and you will follow him into places that take you into mission that take you into loving other people. Right. So like the end game of a personal relationship with Jesus is the beginning of mission, right? Or yeah, the beginning I, 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 of living out the kingdom. Yeah. That's a better, I think it's a better way of saying it. Well, I just, I just wanted to, you know, foresee someone saying, Matt said a personal relationship with Jesus. Isn't the point. That's basically <laughs> what he said. Well, that's not what you meant. I don't know, but yeah, it's just hard to, I, I, I understand why someone might have a problem with that. And yeah, I appreciate you clarifying. But yeah. Yeah. I don't, um, I don't mean that a personal relationship with Jesus is not important or it's not the, it's not um, biblical. It is it absolutely is, but I just have a hard time um, when people treat a personal relationship with Jesus as some sort of like status that excludes them or, you know, precludes them from actually caring about the world around them, you know? Yeah. And I think that's, <laughs> that's the opposite of the truth of what salvation is about what a relationship with Jesus is like a, a, a relationship with Jesus calls us to action. Uh, it calls us to live as, as citizens of a kingdom that is, living and active in the world right now. So, yeah. And I think, and I think as people grow in actually being in relationship with Jesus, like I can't be in relationship with my wife and not care about the things she cares about or like just disregard him. So people who aren't caught up in mission, and there's some people who would articulate theology that I think is probably terrible, but they do have a real relationship with Jesus and they do care about the things Jesus care about. And so yeah. they are doing kingdom things, even though they can't articulate um, or wouldn't articulate a kingdom theology. I want to just recognize that, that there are all kinds of people who have um, what I would call just sort of Sunday school theology um, that I think is maybe uh, an incomplete picture of biblical theology, but they are still living. Yeah, um, Absolutely as followers of Jesus. But then there's other people that have an incomplete theology and an incomplete relationship with Jesus um, because their relationship with Jesus is defined by the sinner's prayer. They said a long time ago. And then like, it's really a relationship with their church or like religion, not, you know, not drinking, smoking or swearing. 
Right. But um, anyways, good stuff. I think, um, yeah, we should talk in some future podcasts about some implications of like living as kingdom citizens. Like what are some, what are some kingdom citizen values? What are some ethics of the kingdom? That'd be fun to unpack, but not today. Do you want to do that next time? Do a part two? Yeah, that'd be good. Kingdom of God part two. All right. Well, we should probably wrap up. Any last words, Matt? No, I don't think so. We did right. hit a thousand uh, downloads. So I know I saw that. That's <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Um, I guess I want to, I want to say uh, like share rate, subscribe uh, to our podcast and um, all of those things kind of help expand our listener base. And um, we, we just appreciate it. And it's, uh, it's been fun for Matt and I. Yeah. So, well, until Happy next time. Thanksgiving, even though this will come out after Thanksgiving. Oh yeah, it will. Happy post Thanksgiving. You know, November seventeenth. We're recording this, but Merry Christmas, I guess. Merry Christmas. We can say that. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks for joining us. Talk to you next time. Bye.